The title of this evening's talk is Wise Concentration. And beginning with a few Pali words. Sila, Samadhi, Samatha, Vipassana, and Panya. Pali words that translate into English as sila, morality or virtue, samadhi or samatha as concentration, tranquility, and vipassana, panya, translating as insight, wisdom. Over his 45 years of teaching, the Buddha spoke many times about these three particular aspects of mind as being the being essential, the essential and indispensable basis of his own practice. Virtue, tranquility and insight, morality, concentration and wisdom. These three form the three branches of mental development that are essential to all Buddhist practice. The development and combination of the first two of these qualities or capacities of heart, mind, are what lead one into vipassana or the penetrative understanding that comes about through direct meditative experience of the three liberating insights. That of anicca, the impermanency of all mental and physical phenomena. Dukkha, the essential unsatisfactoriness of all worldly mental and physical occurrences. And the impersonality of all of the material and mental phenomena of existence. These three are the three profound insights that lead to final liberation. In the Buddha's words, as he often did, he starts with the question and then goes on to answer his own question. And these are his words. If tranquility, concentration is developed, what profit does it bring? The mind is developed. If the mind is developed, what profit does it bring? All lust is abandoned. If insight is developed, what profit does it bring? Wisdom is developed. If wisdom is developed, what profit does it bring? All ignorance is abandoned. And so tranquility, concentration, samadhi meditation, and vipassana, insight meditation, in particular alternating sequences are developed. 
And all of this rests on the essential foundation of the gradual process of purification that comes about through the practice, through the process, and the understanding that blossoms through our exploration of sila with its underlying principle of non-harming. As the teachings and practices of sila deepen and mature within us, we come to understand through our own very direct experience what brings happiness, contentment, and ease on the deepest levels, and what brings suffering and confusion, what brings dis-ease. Very intimately connected to the understanding that the practice of sila affords us are our habits of attraction, aversion, worry, anxiety, fear, and the identification with these states. These habits of mind are the primary mental and physical phenomena that create suffering and lead to what we could call rebirth over and over and over again in the momentary round of worldly suffering, samsara. These habits of mind also keep us from developing a deep and further, the, the deep and further purifying concentration of samadhi. And these habits, these habits of mind, keep us far, far away from our main goal that of recognizing the nature of things, recognizing ultimate reality, and thus keep us from awakening, keep us from enlightenment. The true nature of things, ultimate reality, is the principle that all mental and physical phenomena, people, mountains, galaxies, the town of Taos, the Amtrak train system are understood, are regarded as being without substantial sustaining essence, without any separate solid self-identity. In order to see the true nature of existing phenomena, we need to purify the mental cloudiness, part the veil, untangle the tangle that keeps us from seeing it. And this occurs via the practices of sila, samadhi, and panya. The Buddha taught, speaking directly from and about his own process and experience that and these are his words, it's owing to the development of virtue, concentration, and wisdom, insight, that enlightenment has been fully realized. 
In order for us to learn how to properly apply these three active forces of purification, virtue, concentration, and wisdom, we need to learn directly from our own experience, and often from some of our most difficult experiences, or what we might deem uh, to be our mistakes, as well as learning from some of our quieter and more subtle experiences. We could say that purification is synonymous with this act of learning. And so this evening, taking a look at the active force of samadhi, concentration, the unperturbed, peaceful and lucid state of mind attained by the practice and process of strong mental concentration. The process of gathering in, gathering together together the energy, the potentially powerful energy of the mind, which is ordinarily quite dispersed. We could say that the initial act of concentration is that of reining in the mind from all of its myriad distractions and learning how to focus it by coming back again and again and again to the simple present so that our mental and physical energy isn't being used up or usurped in unconscious and unskillful ways. The Vasudhimaga, the profoundly detailed Buddhist treatise on the process of purification, uses a number of very graphic metaphors to describe the process of the act of concentration. And one of these is this. The bee follows up the scent of a flower, then dives towards the flower, stops and buzzes above it, getting to know it, we could say, before diving into it, absorbing into it. So a metaphor for preliminary access and absorption concentration. Another uh, metaphor offered in the Vasudhi Maga that I that I particularly related to because of my own experience in making pottery is this. A lump of clay sits on a spinning potter's wheel. Centering the clay, the potter brings both hands directly onto the clay, holding, staying there with a strong and relaxed focused attention of body and mind. Staying sustaining attention and energy, totally undistracted as the clay is centered on the wheel. Then the potter with a continued focus of attention, with one hand directly on the clay, steadily holding and supporting the clay, the other hand also continuing to sustain contact with the clay, the object of attention. But this hand is moving back and forth, up and down, 
informing the clay at the same time as being informed by it, as a bowl forms. Quite a graphic and visceral metaphor for the development and process of concentration. With the mind, the heart, moving into the deeper states of samadhi, the jhana states, in this particular metaphor. The power of a clear, relaxed, focused mind. A concentrated mind brings together and stimulates or re-stimulates itself again and again. Re-stimulates the energy and the effort needed for the next moment of continuing the process of its own development. We could say that a concentrated mind feeds itself strengthening its ability to stay present with the object of attention and not attach itself to anything else. It's just where it is. Pure, clear, and calm. Quite an energizing, refreshing, and often beautiful experience. Because our exploration this evening is primarily devoted to the beautiful and purifying current of samadhi, concentration, I think it would be helpful for us to explore and learn a bit more about the basis, the process, and the fruits of concentration. The wholesome states of concentration, calm, tranquility, joy, peace, along with the deeper states of concentration called jhana, cannot grow when the unwholesome state, mind states of attachment, aversion, sleepiness, agitation, worry, and doubt are occurring. Seeing and understanding the difference between wholesome states of mind and unwholesome states is essential for the development and blossoming of concentration. So for instance, if you try uh, to concentrate on a meditation subject, such as the breath, and you're anxious, you're worried during the process, it will prevent you from being tranquil. Worry enslaves us. With the practice of concentration, one needs to be willing to let go of, not be seduced by, cut through thought. Even thoughts that might seem so important in the moment. Clarity of intention and seeing, knowing, when the attention gets muddled or lost in something other than what is intended is really the first and maybe the most important and the most difficult step of the practice. As we all well know, 
the mind can get lost in myriad mundane thoughts and actions. Thinking that whatever it is, is very, very important. I had uh, such an experience uh, during a three-month concentration uh, jhana retreat that I sat with my teacher, Pawaksayadaw. For the first week or so of the retreat, each day after lunch, I would make myself a fancy cup of tea, taking two or three different loose teas and mixing them together in a tea ball. An important, very important, and seemingly necessary treat that I needed, wanted, every day. So after about a week of doing this, I noticed a box of tea bags of one of the same uh, teas that was in my mix uh, sitting on the counter right in front of me under the jars of loose tea that I'd been drawing from. And it had been sitting there every single day, but I hadn't noticed it. I hadn't paid any attention to it up until this particular day. And the thought came, do I really need this? Is all this fancy tea preparation and seeming need really important? And the answer inside my mind and heart was, nope. Nope, it's not important at all. It's just merely a habitual distraction. So that day I made a simple cup of tea with a tea bag and enjoyed it. What happened after this is what was really important. Quite spontaneously, at times throughout the rest of the three months, the question, is this really important, would come up in relationship to various mundane actions and in relationship to various thoughts and thought patterns. And the answer was almost always, if not pretty much 100% of the time, quite clearly and more and more obviously, no. And I would just simply let go of whatever it was at that point. The development of wholesome concentration requires us, requires of us, actually, that we have an insight of some depth into and a growing interest and understanding regarding the difference between wholesome and unwholesome states of mind. And one of the most wonderful and amazing fruits that inevitably occurs through the process of developing concentration is that the heart and mind are continually being purified from the various permutations of greed, aversion, lethargy, restlessness, and doubt. Classically, the development of concentration and jhana is described as the purification of the mind. Samatha, or samadhi, or the development of calm and concentration seriously weakens all the hindrances all the unwholesome states of mind. When calm, tranquility, 
joy, happiness, bliss, peace, and equanimity, the fruits of concentration practice, clearly manifest. The hindrances, unwholesome states of mind are temporarily completely eliminated and more profoundly weakened, particularly if one attains the deeper states of concentration. The different factors of concentration specifically address different hindrances. So to begin with, overall calm or tranquility is an antidote to, for feeling perturbed. Tranquility frees the mind, the heart, from impurities and inner obstacles and gives a much greater penetrative strength. The mental state of initially applying the mind, aiming and applying the attention again and again to the object, vitaka in Pali, establishing the mind on the object, such as the breath, eliminates dullness, sleepiness, and stiffness. Sustained application of the mind, a continuous sustaining attention on the object, called vichara in Pali, eliminates uncertainty, eliminates doubt. The deeply concentrated state of joyful zest, happiness, elation in the mind resulting from purity of mind, purity of heart, piti in Pali, brings a delighted interest, a delighted interest in and liking for the object of attention, and inhibits all forms of ill will. And the deeply concentrated state of bliss, contentment, sweetness, Sukha in Pali, which is actually not a pleasant bodily feeling, but a blissful, contented mental feeling, eliminates restlessness, agitation, and regret or worry. And lastly, the steady, undistracted (coughs) the steady, undistracted attention of the one-pointed focus of deep concentration, ikagata in Pali, brings an equanimous feeling and eliminates sensuous desire for anything. As our samatha practice, our concentration moves along and the imperfections, the states that corrupt the natural purity of the mind, the heart, when at least some of the imperfections have been very clearly let go, abandoned, relinquished. At that time, one truly knows and gains a much fuller and deeper confidence, 
confidence in and connection to one's own practice. When this confidence arises, the mind and heart often experience a great inspiration. A great inspiration, enthusiasm, and appreciation connected with the Buddha, the Dhamma, the teachings of the truth, and the Sangha, the community of beings who have in the past and are currently practicing and teaching the Dhamma. As awakening beings, when we begin to directly experience and know ourselves as purified of unwholesome states, when we directly experience and know ourselves as at least partially liberated from them, a great and wholesome gladness and gratitude is born in us. And when there's gladness in us, joyful zest and a taste of elation is born in us. With this joy and the knowing of it, without any attachment in those moments, the body and the mind become quite tranquil. The subtle bodily and mental disturbances that are connected with gladness and joy are removed. They actually disappear with the calm and quiet, with the serene pleasure of tranquility. When we experience tranquility, we feel pleasure. When pleasure is felt, the mind is then prepared for deepened concentration. And on and on it goes. At this point, the mind and heart are very strong. And all of this will quite naturally take place when there's no clinging, no attachment, and no identification with each of the various experiences as they unfold and blossom. As concentration develops, slowly we gain the wisdom and the confidence to allow ourselves to wholeheartedly absorb into experience with no self, no me, no I am, while at the same time being clearly and mindfully aware of what's taking place but with no pondering, no thinking about what's occurring. In this slide, I'd like to share a simple and potentially illuminating story with you about two significant times and aspects of the Buddha's life. After six years of engaging in extreme ascetic practices and finding that they weren't bringing the liberation of heart and mind that he was seeking, it's said that the Bodhisattva Siddhartha Gautama, who was to become a Buddha, our Buddha, asked himself 
could there be another path to enlightenment? In reflection with this inner questioning, an image, the memory of a particular experience from his childhood appeared to Siddhartha Gautama. He remembered a particular spring day when he was a boy of six. That morning, his father had taken him to the spring plowing festival, a time each year when the men in the community, rich and poor alike, came together for a day of plowing up the earth, an annual ritual marking the beginning of the spring planting season. Young Siddhartha sat comfortably and quietly under a sweet-smelling rose apple tree, observing the scene that was unfolding before him with a very open, alert, and unfettered attention that children sometimes give to things. Nothing really at all on his mind. In those moments of not wanting or not fearing anything, he was aware of the earth breaking open in even wave-like furrows. He noticed the heat shimmering up off the freshly opened soil. He was aware of the shining on the sweating faces and the straining bodies of the men and the oxen. He noticed the flash and the sparkling of the light coming off the bronze harnesses and the dark horns of the oxen. He felt the plodding rhythm of the oxen's hooves and the cowbells rolling on and on amidst the strong, sharp shouts of the men as they were working. He also clearly heard the beautiful sound of the bird song, as well as the shrill cries of the birds as they dove and pecked and devoured the swarming insects and the grubs, worms, and broken bodies of the mice left out on the upturned earth. All of this laboring, devouring, struggling, suffering, and dying, endlessly going on beneath and right along with the gaiety, joy, and beauty of that spring festival day. All of this entered into young Siddhartha's heart and mind as he sat alone, clearly focused and deeply relaxed under the tree, open-heartedly experiencing the scene before him, and in his heart finding no resistance, no tension, no inner conflict, nothing to add, nothing to take away, no picking, no choosing. As he sat quite still and secluded from sensual pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states of mind, taking this all in without prejudice, without attachment, he experienced a sweet pleasure a happiness that wasn't born out of desire for or clinging to anything. And in his young mind, a deep 
intuitive understanding was seated. As a young man, in remembering this experience, the thought occurred, could that be the path to enlightenment? And it said that following up on this memory, the memory of this joyful, tranquil, and insightful experience from his childhood, the bodhisattva became filled with energy and a sureness that in fact this was the path to liberation and resolved to sit quietly and press forward in deep meditation until he reached full understanding, true freedom. This was a turning point for the Buddha to be in his quest for awakening, in his quest for enlightenment. This was a turning point and a change in his relationship to suffering and his evaluation of pleasure. At that most important point of turning in his quest for liberation, Siddhartha realized that the confusion, the misunderstanding, the delusion, the greed, anger, anguish, and hatred, all of the dark and afflictive states of mind wouldn't be, and in fact couldn't be, purified, banished, released, let go of, or relinquished by creating hardships for oneself, and then putting up with, or living through, or toughing it out in relationship to these self-inflicted hardships or by trying hard to let go of or trying to lose one's self in hardships. And if you consider your own life, how many times in small, even in tiny ways, or possibly even in extreme ways, have you, out of ignorance, out of delusion, out of misunderstanding, been attracted to and chosen to engage in mental fantasies, situations, activities, relationships that created hardship in your life? And maybe even extreme hardship in your own way doing just what the Buddha did and thinking just as he did that this would bring a sustaining joy, happiness and ease into your life. Potentially a certain kind of strength might be gained but the light at the end of the tunnel the light of awakening can never be seen, felt, or known through this way. As a young man, in remembering his childhood experience, Siddhartha realized that pleasure was no longer to be treated and banished, or feared, excuse me, no longer to be feared and banished through the practice of extreme austerities. That this would never bring a sustaining sense of well-being. 
he understood that when pleasure is born internally with a mind, a heart that is secluded, free from the mental and bodily hindrances of lethargy, restlessness, greed, and clinging, free from the various permutations of aversion, confusion, or doubt, he understood that when pleasure is born of seclusion, clear, concentrated presence and detachment, that it's not only okay, but that it's a valuable and necessary accompaniment along the path of awakening. And that it's in fact, it points to the sustaining happiness of a heart, a mind, that's no longer run by the energies of greed, clinging, fear, judgment, anger, and confusion. That in fact it points to the sustaining happiness and the sustaining ease of a heart, a mind that's liberated, awakened. As a child, this natural state of an undisturbed mind is something that young Siddhartha wandered into, so to say. The world outside going on just as it is, thoughts and feelings arising and passing, coming and going, no different in those moments than anything else in the world. Nothing to agree with, nothing to argue with, nothing to cling to, nothing to push away or run from. And yet this natural state of an undisturbed mind isn't so easy to wander in for most of us. We so often have a mind made up, often absolutely made up about how it's supposed to be or isn't supposed to be, what's good or what's bad, what we definitely know is true or isn't true. We so often have a mind made up about what we must have or must not have in order to be happy, even in order to practice. A mind made up, a mind that clings to what it's made up, prevents us from directly, clearly, and honestly meeting the moment we're in, keeping us in conflict, keeping us shut off from the vastness of possibility, keeping us shut off from the possibility of wandering into the natural state of an undisturbed mind. This is essentially the cause of our suffering and what prevents the heart, the mind, from calmly and peacefully connecting directly and clearly with the present moment, both internal and external present moment experience. As I mentioned earlier this evening, 
the teachings and practices that we've inherited from the Buddha fall into three basic currents. The current of sila, the teachings and the teaching and practice of virtue, the current of samadhi, the teaching and practice of tranquility, concentration, and the current of vipassana, the teaching and practice of insight, wisdom. These three currents are what carried the Buddha and what carry us along and across the great and often challenging river of this life to the other side, to the side of a peaceful, easeful, awakened presence, to the side of living life within the natural state of an undisturbed heart and mind. The current of samadhi, the development of tranquility and concentration, including the states of deeply absorbed concentration, jhana, are beautiful, potentially healing and powerful states in and of themselves. And at whatever level one is able to develop a concentrated mind, from the perspective of the Buddha Dhamma, it's ultimately an essential, essentially to be used towards our main goal, that of seeing the true nature of existing phenomena, parting the veil, untangling the tangle that keeps us from seeing it, so that we recognize the nature of things, recognize ultimate reality and awaken out of the sleepy cloud of delusion. And so as awakening beings, here we are today more than 2,500 years since the story that I've just shared took place. And thanks to Siddhartha Gautama's diligent and very powerful six years of practice, here we are, exploring and learning from his direct experience and the inspired and amazing clarity of his ability to pass it on to others. In closing the talk this evening, I'd just like to say that it's essential that you hold your practice in the light of honesty, patience, and an open-hearted interest. And that you hold yourself within your practice with deep kindness and patience. These wholesome and beautiful qualities will, without a doubt, serve the blossoming of sila, samadhi, and panya, and, without a doubt, are some of the basic roots and forces of purity that the fruits of practice stem from. In closing, with a Mary Oliver poem 
that uh, speaks to this evening's topic in her unique, beautiful, and in this case, somewhat oblique way. She calls it such singing in the wild branches. It was spring, and finally I heard him among the first leaves. Then I saw him clutching the limb in an island of shade with his red-brown feathers all trim and neat for the new year. First I stood still and thought of nothing. Then I began to listen. Then I was filled with gladness. And that's when it happened, when I seemed to float, to be myself, a wing or a tree. And I began to understand what the bird was saying. And the sands in the glass stopped for a pure white moment, while gravity sprinkled upward like rain rising and in fact it became difficult to tell just what it was that was singing. It was a thrush for sure, but it seemed not a single thrush, but himself and all his brothers, and also the trees around them, as well as the gliding long-tailed clouds in the perfectly blue sky. All of them were singing, and of course, yes, so it seemed so was I, such soft and solemn and perfect music doesn't last for more than a few moments. It's one of those magical places wise people like to talk about. One of the things they say about it that is true is that once you've been there, you're there forever. Listen, everyone has a chance. It's spring. It's morning. Are there trees near you? And does your own soul need comforting? Quick then, open the door and fly on your heavy feet. The song may already be drifting away. And let's sit for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.